It's the Hive Sports Podcast, bringing you all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State. Visit us at thehivesports.com. Against Gobert, puts his shoulder down, rolls inside, try to slam it home, and Rudy said, not tonight! John Beck is on the run, he throws behind him, it is, cut for the touchdown! Merrill for the lead, he's got it! Hello and welcome to another installment of RSL Sundays. We are recording this at 11.04 p.m. on the seventh day of the week. And so we are going to do our absolute best to keep this one as maybe concise as we can to get this one out to you while it is still RSL Sundays and before we creep over into RSL Monday's territory. I am, as always, Alex Maurer, and I am joined today not by Ethan Kershaw, not by Hayden Nielsen, not by any of those other RSL soapbox guys, but by one Eric Walker and one Joe RSL or Real Skeptical Memes. Is that correct? Real Skeptical Lad. RSL Real Skeptical. Skeptical. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was combining you with RSL Memes. Uh, thank you both for coming on so much. I appreciate the, uh, the late call up. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm totally down for this last second kind of thing. And I believe this is both of your first times doing a podcast of any sort. Absolutely. This is going to go fantastically. It is. Good. Yeah. I love that energy. You always remember your first, as they say. But uh, let's hop right into it, I think. I think that's probably the best way. Well, I guess where can people find you guys on Twitter? Just so they can, can kind of put a voice to a, a profile picture, if you will. Uh, I'll go first. I guess it's at Real Skeptical Lad, um, and yeah, real name's Joe, but Real Skeptical Lad. You'll you'll just find a picture of Jefferson Savarino before he signed, uh, nicely photoshopped into an RSL jersey <laughs> from me. Nicely is one way to put it. And how would you characterize your RSL Twitter presence? Uh, very reactionary. I'm, I'm not going to lie about that, but that's the entire uh, point of it, and and why I'm on today emotionally charged i love it and eric what about yourself you can find me on twitter at salty posauna good luck figuring out what that means it's the it's the german word for trombone right after the word salty which comes from rail salt lake and my personality well that's just tremendous and is that how you would describe your your twitter rsl presence i would say so maybe also just a little bit of being a little too over dramatic and I'm the exact same way for Utah State. I mostly we, have a lot of followers from there and from RSL. And I was saying the other day that everyone who follows me for my bad Utah State takes has probably thought I've been insufferable all summer talking about RSL. But with the football season coming up, now it's time for everyone who follows me for my bad RSL takes to think I'm insufferable for talking about Utah State. Double dipping into Utah sports fandom. That's, that's, that's fantastic. That's great. Well, that is just fantastic. Thank you both so much for joining us. This was literally like a last second, last second call up, much like one Scott Caldwell in the second half as uh, Jasper Lawful Godsend was throwing up in the locker room is what we were told when I asked post game to Pablo Mastroeni. He said that was the reason the team actually came late out onto the field was because he was actively throwing up like as they were returning for the second half. And so if you were wondering why, Jasper wasn't there, and you heard it was illness on the broadcast. It was indeed because he was he was hurling chunks in the locker room, but I digress. It has been a very long time since somebody has asked me an RSL pod trivia question, but I believe that will be the case today. If I am not mistaken, Joe, you came prepared. I gave you both some homework, and that was to come up with an RSL trivia question, and I finally yeah. test my medal. So if you could please, please grace us with that question. We'll see how we do. Yeah, and uh, first thoughts to Lawful Godsend. You know, I, I thought he got off because the ref passed him something, but but hopefully uh, he recovers from his illness soon and, and is back on the field shortly. But today's trivia, uh, it does pertain to RSL versus Sounders, um, going into the history between these two teams and asking of the 32 head-to-head games between uh, RSL and Seattle Sounders, how many games have been decided by one goal or less? Oh, that's regular a, season only. That's a very good one. Um, wow, but there's no way I'm going to be able to get it right on the head. Is there any chance? No, I like a sort of I'll, multiple choice. I'll give you gauge. Um, 
I'll say that there are there have been five draws between the two teams since 2009, um, which is where okay, that actually, goes back that to. Helps quite a bit, I think. Actually, how many? And so the numbers in the double number? digits. That's, 32 that's, games, five draws. So that brings us down to a, an actual total of what 27. So 27 options, and man, that's a that's a very good question. You dove deep for this one, decided by one goal. We've had some blowouts at the right and some blowouts in Seattle. I'm going to say 16 games have been decided by one goal or less. What do you say, Eric? I'm going to go even more conservative. I think I'm going to go 10. 10 games? I just don't feel like there's been that many blowouts. I'm just, and only five draws. I'm actually really surprised by five draws. I thought there were there were definitely more. In our all-time head-to-head with Seattle, we only have five draws? That's incredible. At least the last 32. I mean, if there's history I'm missing, that's on me. Uh, no, I trust yeah, you. I trust you. Because that, that sounds about, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, playing them three times a year. Okay, so what, what's the actual answer here? You, so you both went conservative. The actual number out of 32 games is 23 games decided by wow. a goal or less. Wow. And this one really felt like it as well. Always a nail biter between these two teams. And, and tonight didn't disappoint either. Wow. That is, we are much closer to Seattle than I think I would have thought we were. That is yeah. good for us. Maybe not though. in championships. Maybe not in championships. Oh, yeah. wow. but this is a, this is a happy one play. tonight. This is a happy one tonight. <laughs> sorry, Joe. sorry, sorry. Eric, is there any chance you, you came up with a uh, question for us? I did. Um, first, I want to point out that we are ahead in the overall standings. We have 15 wins to their 12 wins, excluding the draws. So always good to point that out against it. In the head-to-head? Head? Really? Yeah, surprised me too. What? Good for us. Why do I feel like, because people always mention, you know, Seattle is kind of like a rival to us. And I always feel like that's disingenuous because they've just been so much better. But I guess they're just much better in the playoff. Well, I mean, even that doesn't hold true because, I mean, clearly we just beat I don't know. That's weird. We are a lot closer to this team. They are consistently a really good team. But we just, it just feels like we always have their number. Like, even just look at the last three games. They're good for us. They were a wow. Good playoff team last year, except for against us. They won the championship so, league. We swept them this year. That's three straight wins. Yep. And correct. If, if Wikipedia is to be trusted, which is not, um, but in overall head to head record tonight's win um, by RSL would actually put us tied uh, at 14 as the Sounders most uh, common head to head loss. So uh, with the galaxy actually all time. So, yeah, somehow just have their number. And, and you could tell, um, I guess, as a little bit of background for, for the listeners, I do live in Seattle. I've lived here the past six years. Um, and you could tell by by the fan reaction today, as well as just in conversations that I have with coworkers and friends that support the Sounders, that it does seem that we have their number. It, it really is a rivalry that's not a rivalry. But sometimes the, the discussion, the discourse around it, tends to feel like a rivalry just because we, for some reason, seem to have their number while also not having their number. But it is hearing, a, a bizarre dynamic. Hearing that the local Seattle discourse views us as a team that has their number just warms the deepest cockles of my heart. That is that is just tremendous. That is so wonderful. You two have come very well prepared with your stats and figures here. I love this. That leads us wonderfully into, Eric, your, your pod trivia question for the day. Let's Let's have at it. My trivia goes all the way back to the first matchup between Real Salt Lake and Seattle Sounders. Who scored the first goal in the first head-to-head match between these two clubs? The first goal was the game... So it would have been, what, they joined the league 2009, right? 2009. It was their second-ever game. And that's why they hosted it in Seattle, right? Silly. Their second-ever game in MLS. Was it in Seattle or was it in Rio Tinto? It was in Seattle. Okay, so if it's in Seattle, my guess is going to be... I mean, was Freddie Montero there their expansion year? I can't remember. He was there. He was there. Then I'm going to go Freddie Montero. Joe, if you have anything better... I feel like that would have been brought up on the broadcast, though, I bet. I don't. He didn't mention if it was a Sounders player or not. I'm just assuming, because... I'm, I'm going to go wild here. card. I'm going to go Robbie wild Fin- card. Robbie Finley feels yeah. like... 
Nat Borchers. I'm going to go Nat Borchers. Just a random header. No, 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 no. It's not Nat Borchers. It's not Nat Borchers. You know, I kind of want to switch to either Yura or Robbie Finley, but nah, Freddie Montero feels right. I'm locking in Freddie Montero. That's a really good guess. Um, Findlay was also a really good guess because Findlay scored the first goal for RSL against Seattle. Dang, so it was Seattle. That was in the second ever t- the second ever game between these two clubs, the one at Rio Tinto later that year. The first goal, uh, Freddie Montero was also a good guess because he scored the second goal. Oh, brutal! So close. For brutal. The first one was by some dude named Jonathan Jaqua. Yeah, I wasn't getting that. Yeah, Freddie Montero scored the second. Dang it! Dang it! I missed it by one goal. Well, that is that's Alex. Yeah, I'll, I'll. You know what? I'll take that pity party. We are now full speed ahead into the next segment of the show, which RSL Sunday's diehards will know is, of course, the Monarchs Minute. You two, your job is to watch that clock and to see if I come in in under 60 seconds. Here we go. The Monarchs are back in more monarchy than ever. They are back to their old ways and got stomped 4-0 in Arlington, Texas to North Texas SC with all four goals coming in the second half. Two goals were off of penalty kicks and one was the result of an uncharacteristic bobbled beaver save. So, I don't know. Tough luck. The Monarchs have been on a decent spell at home but continue to struggle mightily on the road with only five games left on the Monarchs' regular season schedule and the playoffs a mathematical impossibility. It's all about highlighting individual player performances in this upcoming and quickly closing window. The guys I'll personally be watching down the stretch will be center back Golden the Big Machine Mafuenta, left back Aziz Kayondo, midfielder Christian Nidecker, and forwards Axel Kai and 17-year-old Taryn Williams. Of that list, Axel is the only one currently on a first-team contract, but I would not be surprised to see a couple of those others locked into RSL deals Pardon me. in the very near future. And I'm looking up at my screen, and Eric, you have a timer that says 51 seconds, and that means I have done it. Let's hear it for the Monarchs. Do either of you two have any burning uh, commentary that you would like to dish out right now about one Real Monarchs? Just that I'm better than Ethan because I actually have a clock. <laughs> I sure hope he listens and he hears that, that, that wonderful constructive criticism. I very much appreciate that. But it did it did flutter me or fluster me just a little bit. I was going to say my heart was fluttering when I looked up and actually saw the timer because that was the first time I've, I've really felt the pressure like that in a Monarchs minute. But uh yeah, no, nothing else from you guys on the Monarchs. This is your one chance now to say whatever you desire about the Monarchs. I was not able to watch uh, their game. Continue yeah, unfortunately, a little bit, a little bit harder for me to watch. But I think, yeah, that might be luckier for me than for uh, for some others. Do you guys care about the Monarchs winning and losing a game? Does it mean anything to you in the way that you feel about Real Salt Lake? And this is not like a test of you're not a true fan if you don't care that the Monarchs lose. It's not at all about that, I promise. I promise I don't want to gatekeep fandom. But just genuine curiosity, where do you guys fall on the spectrum of like the importance of the success of the Real Monarchs? I, I think it's very important to the success of the whole organization. And I want to be a bigger fan than I am. Um I don't know. I just don't follow them as closely, and I wish I followed them more closely. And I, I love the honesty. When, when you say their success or the first team success is very dependent on the Monarchs' success, is success for the Monarchs winning games, or can they develop players in spite of poor performances? I think you develop players better when you're winning games. Like that, that adds a little bit more confidence. You you feel better in training when you're winning. You just have a little more, a, a more of a sense of urgency in training because you're actually playing for something instead of oh we're at the bottom of the table we have nowhere, we have no prospects of doing anything. Um, I think much like the monarchs this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I think there's still some development that can happen. It's obviously better when you're winning. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are plans to get things in better shape. Hopefully, anyway, I'm, I'm just you know hopelessly optimistic. But I, I appreciate this, the honesty. This, this season has been rough. I am want to agree. Joe, yourself? Yeah, I mean, the success of Marnocks obviously is very important to the future success of Real Salt Lake. And I think, you know, as maybe a fan that's not uh, admittedly as diehard as, as most, uh, well, maybe not most, but uh, the higher tier of RSL fans. Whoa, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I want to pump the brakes. There is no tears to fandom. Okay. There are no about, tears about, to fandom. Everyone is a fan. Everyone is everyone is everyone is a fan. We are valid. all valid. 
we are all if you're watching the games or you're just looking at the scores and you you are you feel something inside your chest when you see an RSLW. You are a fan in my eyes. But continue. I digress. I apologize. No, correct. Good, good, great distinction. But I would <laughs> say, you know, when it comes to the Monarchs, the importance, right, is going to be player development, especially, um, you know, with this kind of interesting split uh, between the MLS Next Pro and the Monarchs. Really, what it comes down to is how good are the Monarchs at developing players that can eventually or currently make the first team roster to push competition, right? And obviously, it's great when a team like the Monarchs wins championships. We all want to see that. But that's maybe not the biggest end goal for a team like the Monarchs when it comes to uh, pushing development down the line um, for Real Salt Lake. So, you know, it's important. I think a lot of that is unfortunately stuff that you can't see without actually watching the games because obviously the quality of the overall team is going to impact individual player performance. But when it comes to the body language of individual players or the you know micro performance of individual players that's stuff that you don't get without seeing it and unfortunately you know i wish i could had the time to watch uh every single monarchs game but it's obviously something maybe a little bit for my sanity that i don't do as often as i should the micro performances of individual players that is the kind of stuff you tune into rsl sundays for folks that is some deep analysis joe and i appreciate it and i think i i echo pretty much every one of your sentiments as you say, yes, of course, everyone would like to see the Monarchs winning championships. But when one Rob Zarcos, vice president of soccer operations, comes out on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast and he says that they stacked that team to win a championship, what's the point? What is the point of playing first team players just so that you can win a championship that is to the majority of the fan base, I think, entirely meaningless? But I digress. Speaking of well, championships, let's 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 stay on that for a second. Like, you want to ponder that more a little bit? Is, is there a benefit? in terms of development for having those Monarchs guys play alongside first team players a little bit more often. I mean, maybe, but I don't know that Luke Mulholland playing instead of one Richie Ledesma in that final was really the best route to go, but we must, we must leave the Monarchs discourse in the past. We have a lot to get to. And as, as I said, we were speaking of championships and nobody does it better, unfortunately than Seattle. And that is where we played tonight against the reigning CONCACAF Champions League champions, we won 2-2-1 on that horrible turf field at Lumen Field, newly renamed, if I'm not mistaken. I'll ask, you know, fellow Seattleite for confirmation, and I got a head nod, so yes, I am correct. Uh, RSL wins 2-2-1 with goals coming from one Sergio Scordova, and the winner from one Andrew right-footed player playing left-back Brody, crashing the back post, and oh yeah, one more RSL guy got on the scoreboard, Albert Rusnak, in the 62nd minute for Seattle, off of what was genuinely a very pretty goal to watch, and one that was ultimately pretty frustrating because he had a lot of time at the top of the box where nobody really stepped to him to close a lot of space, and uh, Zach McMath was fairly blinded by the shot and just didn't really get any sort of a reaction on it. Sergio Cordova's goal came off of what was a really nice counterattack from a great through ball in from Jefferson Savarino, and he kind of bodies a guy to win possession. His pace gets him in behind, which was also really impressive. He was able to muster what was, in isolation, a fairly embarrassing shot, if you ask me. It was kind of an off-balance, right-footed, outside-of-the-boot. I hate that I call it a boot, outside-of-the-foot, outside-of-the-cleat. It's not a boot. It's soccer. It's, it's America. But uh, it goes directly into Stefan Fry. He's unable to corral the rebound. It pops back out to Sergio Cordova, who is incredibly composed for the next 7 to 10 seconds. Dribbles around. Well, I don't know if dribbling is the, is the right phrase, but he kind of sidesteps a couple of recovering Seattle defenders and slots it home pretty neatly, I would say. But in Sergio Cordova fashion, he missed the sitter and then was able to convert the much more difficult, much more composed chance, which was which was incredibly fun to see. He is now at six goals on the year, which if you remember and you're keeping track of the RSL historiography for the season, I said that is what he would probably end up with on Royal Riot podcast at the very beginning of the year. I said he's probably six goals and that's largely going to be the the bulk of his contributions to the team. He has now hit that. So anything more is just the cherry on top for Sergio Cordova. I don't want to get too deep into the woods, but I don't think he gets these minutes or these goals if Bobby Wood or 
uh, Demir Krylak were healthy. But I digress. This is not a Sergio Snort of a Slander podcast anymore because it seems Especially like he's been doing after that performance. fairly well. Yes, I would say for my money, this was the best and most complete game he's played in an RSL uniform. Can I get some head nods for a little bit of self-confirmation? There's one. There's two from Eric. Thank you so much. And then the goal, as I mentioned earlier, comes from Andrew Brody crashing the back post off of what was a just delightful delicious cross in from Jefferson Savarino. It was, it was ridiculous. It was, it was unfair is what it was. And it was the kind of pass that only comes from a player making, you know, the kind of salary that Jefferson Savarino is on wink, wink. We should add two more designated players, but those are the fast facts of the match. I think we should probably start in our review in the first half, which was as much as Pablo wants to say, we are not a grit and grind team and extremely grit and grind first half, if you ask me. But what is, what are your guys' thoughts on the first half and how would you describe and characterize it, Eric? At first, I thought it was, it, it's, it already started out very uncharacteristic for RSL because we strung together more than three passes <laughs> in the first minute or two. Um, we ended the on the road with, too. Look at us on the road too. We ended the game with 31% of possession, which is par for the course. But um, we we went right back into our usual our usual form of play by allowing a goal. In I don't remember what minute that was. But it was pretty early on. I think it was within which, the first 10 to 15, if I'm not mistaken. It was very early. I, I believe it was like 12 or 13. Yeah. Definitely within the first 15 minutes, which has been something we've done so often the last few games, it feels like. Maybe it's not that often, but it sure feels that way. And then, you know, the last couple of games, we give up an early goal. We end up losing the game or getting a draw. And it felt like this is where this one was headed as well. But luckily, I believe it was... What, was it Montero who was offside? Or it was Raul Rui Diaz. It was Rui Diaz who was offside. He was just a little bit offside. You can clearly see on the on the replay, his foot is right next to the, is to the line on the 18-yard box. Everyone else was a few feet away from it. And so we, we got lucky there that that was called back. And so we were able to push through and, and get that goal, which put the momentum in our favor, and the rest is history. Joe, what did you take away from the first half? Were you at the game, by the way? Yeah, so I was at the game. So maybe a different viewpoint of pretty much everything. Uh, did you, you get know, a hot dog close. at the uh, hot dog stands pregame? No, I did not. Oh I got a, a fried chicken sandwich okay. uh, downtown pregame uh, uh, along with a few the beers. The Seattle so. food cart game is just miles ahead of any other MLS stadium that I have visited. There are just so many oh, options. This, it's so fantastic. I think it has yeah, and the street dogs are, are quite great. Yeah, it's lovely. It's that? absolutely lovely. One more time for us, Eric. I think it has something to do with being a football stadium. I mean, certainly it helps, but I mean, they're still, they're still doing it. I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, I've been to a game wedged. in New England, and that certainly was not the same vibes. I can tell you that much. <laughs> that was about acres yeah. and acres of parking lots and absolutely nothing else. Maybe a couple tumbleweeds, but uh, but yeah, certainly it helps to have a downtown uh, NFL stadium. But it is not the only uh, prerequisite for success in the in the Chili Dog Street Dog game. But I digress. I'm sorry, I walked all over you there, Joe. After I teed I you up so nicely, never a digression. <laughs> no, I, I would say it definitely helps being right by the baseball stadium, obviously, for, for hot dog game. And yes, being close to downtown and just having, having a high concentration um, obviously works better for, for street vendors. And, the, and they've done a very good job of, um, you know, lining that road with restaurants and bars um, and just street vendors in general and being very uh, good at um, uh, including that as part of the environment pregame. But, uh, yeah, I digress. Uh, anyways, uh, in terms of the game, sat pretty close to the field, uh, was at the north um, touchline, so uh, where Zach McMath was in the first half. And, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting when, when you watch sports. It's, it's always funny when you can draw parallels between two games you watch in a day. And as a, as a Tottenham fan – um, watching this morning's Tottenham versus Chelsea game and then going to this game tonight, it did seem very similar. We we did a very good job of controlling the ball for, say, the first 10 minutes and then started slowly losing possession, letting that chip away. And, and 
Um, like Eric mentioned, it, it led to that goal. Obviously, being there live, I couldn't tell you if it was offsides or not. Um, the fans around me would have said that it was definitely <laughs> not, and it looked like a pretty fair goal from our eyes, but um, it wasn't, and uh, obviously got nice confirmation from from our group chat that it wasn't um, so that I can laugh in their faces as they booed the ref. But no, and then um, obviously the vibes got great. Admittedly, uh, in, in our group chat, I sent a video of Scordova's goal um, that that it was asked, uh, how, how did I manage to get that on film? How did I know that it was coming? And truth be told, it definitely felt like the Sounders were going to score. So I pulled out my phone and started recording. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, we spring on the counter. Great through ball from uh, Sava to send uh, Scordova in. And, you know, some, some part of me was like, he's going to actually bury this one. And he didn't. Um, but then great composure. And, and the friend that I went to the game with um, conceded that he he somewhat supports the Sounders and he conceded that it was great composure by him uh, to wait out the defenders and, and really pick his target and, and get that goal. Um, so the vibes in the stadium definitely changed after that. It, it got a little bit more nervy from, from the Sounders fans, um, which, you know, as being one of the few RSL fans in the, in the stadium felt great. That's, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I feel like after the goal, the goal comes in the 32nd minute. It wasn't a whole lot left in that first half, except for Jasper absolutely decking the referee on a counterattack, just just clearly blindsides him just all the way. But uh, that is, for me, where I kind of want to take this discussion for just a little bit, because Sergio Cordova has been such a wildly enigmatic player for, I think I would say, the vast majority of the fan base. And now that he is through, I think, fairly confidently we can say that he is through the acclimation period to major league soccer, which is something we hear a lot about guys that join both mid season and at the start of the year is that they always need time to adjust. It feels like he is finally at the point where it is no longer an adjustment for him. And it's also fair to point out that I think that he was also adjusting to playing a more central striker role instead of the previously winger type roles that he had been seen at most often for both Venezuela and some of his club teams. So what I'm interested to hear from you guys is if you echo my sentiments that I think this was his best, probably by far, game in an RSL uniform. And I don't think it is a coincidence that it came after probably what is now his second best performance, which was against LAFC last week. And as Pablo has said so many times throughout the year that scoring goals, especially for strikers, is a a massive confidence thing. And do you think he is finally at the point where he is so confident in his finishing that he will become a double digit MLS goal scorer that is probably deserving of the very large contract that has been pointed out at times when he's missed sitters. I'm looking at you, San Jose. Where do you fall on, on the whole Sergio scored of a snort of a discussion? And this isn't, this isn't some, you know, test you must pass to be invited onto another episode of RSL Sundays. I just want to know from my perspective, I think it is still frustrating that he missed the first chance, but it is incredibly optimistic that he was able to go on and finish it, you know, five seconds later after rounding a couple extra defenders. So I just don't know where I fall on him because he does a lot of things very well and he does a lot of things exceedingly poorly, which it seems to be that he has perhaps turned a corner but is that a result of him just playing just such a glut of minutes that it was bound to happen at some point? Or do you think he's actually a different player now than he was when he first arrived at RSL? Joe, I'll go to you. Yeah. uh, Going first, I think it goes back to what I was talking about with the Monarchs and just the, you know, the micro performance of players that really differentiated this performance for me um, when it came to uh, Scordova, as we'll call him. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think it, unless you're watching the games, obviously the stat sheet has been admittedly disappointing through the season. But when you watch the games more and more, you can see him feel more comfortable with the MLS style of play. Um, his How would you describe the MLS today, style of play? Uh, it's obviously. But what do you see him less... becoming more comfortable in redoing and repeated actions? Just being confident in his work rate, I guess, and and driving his uh, performance through that. And, you know, the amount of times where, especially 
maybe not as much in the first half because he was further away from me, but especially when he was on for the second half, the amount of times that he came back to win the ball in our half was quite impressive because he had just come from about the the center line. And, you know, it, it goes, those are important. Like, obviously, as a striker, your main job is to score goals. And you mentioned it. Maybe that's not the role he was accustomed to before. But having a striker that's willing to go another 30 yards into their own half to win a ball back from a player that's also just made a run is vastly important into succeeding as a team, especially when you're defending a lead, which at that point is what we were doing. Um, so I think that was important. I, I'd agree that this was his best performance of the season. And while there's definitely still questions um, as to whether or not I don't think he necessarily has the ability to become a prolific goal scorer, like a 20 goal per season goal scorer. But I think he, he definitely looks like the kind of player that can score double digits pretty much every season if given the minutes. And I think that um, you definitely see in his confidence step up, maybe not in his finishing, but just in his style play and really making defenders work around him. Um, more and more as he gets involved. And I think that that's very important to have, um, especially when you have players like Savarino that can break lines um, and really just need someone to go and chase down balls um, and, and get them on goal. So hopefully this is a good sign of what's to come um, for Sergio. Um, it was really positive to see. And yeah, it definitely was the man of the match uh, today for me. I... I, I echo a lot of what you say. And one thing that I do want to point out is that he is an extremely good pressing forward, which is not something the team seems to do a lot in tandem. We don't act necessarily as a pressing team, but it certainly starts with Sergio Cordova applying either back pressure to center backs, bringing the ball forward or midfielders, bringing the ball forward or trying to chase down center backs passing between one another. He is, I mean, I'm looking at the FB ref stats right now and he's this, in the 76th percentile of pressures per game, averaging around 17 and a half, which is something that I think we saw late in the game, Anderson Julio be not so great at, especially when he gave up a foul in a very dangerous position. So uh, that is one thing that stood out for me on your uh, your little disc, your little discussion there. And uh, Eric, I'd like to throw it to you now and how you feel Sergio Cordova has progressed either over the course of the season or over the course of, frankly, the last two, three games. It's really hard to say. I, I just go back and forth on him so much for all of the reasons that you have brought up on previous episodes, everything you've brought up tonight. Um, I totally agree that this was his best performance and probably a sign that he's finally getting into his groove. Um, I mean, just for so much of the season, he's been having trouble getting into good spots, um, not really getting, not really being an aerial presence really having a hard time with his finishing. And in a few of the games that I've gone to and, you know, really kind of kept my eye on him, like he just did a lot of standing around and walking. I tried to get a picture at, I think it was the Columbus game of him just like standing there with his hands on his hips, 10 yards offside. Just like, it just didn't look like he was playing that hard. And I don't know if that was a confidence thing. I don't know if that was just frustration with not being able to get acclimated to MLS. Then I watch him tonight. Even the little that I saw, I only was able to watch snippets of the game. But from what I saw, he's he was going 100 miles an hour the whole time. Um, like First of all, making that run with a beautiful through ball from Savarino. Um, I wish I remember who said on Twitter that they should put Cordova on Dancing with the Stars after that. <laughs> shout out to whoever said that best comment of the night and then in the second goal what we failed to mention so far was that really great run up the side getting around dribbling around the defender and eventually getting the ball back to Savarino for the assist to Brody but Cordova was just playing really hard and I I am not as knowledgeable as far as tactics and stuff go as you guys and other podcasters. All I can tell you is what I can see with the eye test. And he's definitely passing the eye test now more than he has the rest of the season. And it might be too early to say he's turned a corner because it's really been kind of just the last two games, 
two goals in two games is great. He's playing a lot harder. We will just have to see if he can continue this form. But if he plays like he did tonight going forward, he could easily be a 10-plus goal scorer over a season. That is just an absolutely wonderful segue. You mentioned that it might be too early to say if he has turned a corner or not, and that is exactly what I'm going to pin on you guys now. And not only did you say that, but you also said it might be possible that he is a 10-plus goal scorer. And this is my question for you guys. Over the course of 25 games that RSL has played this season, Sergio Cordova has six goals. That's good for a goal just about every four games. Granted, he hasn't played in every single match, if I'm not mistaken. I think he missed one or two at the very early part of the year, but he's played the, the vast majority of them. And with 10 games left in RSL schedule and Sergio Cordova currently sitting on six goals, what I want to know is this. Does he, and with two goals in his last two games, get over 12 goals scored on the season? That is now doubling his tally over the last third, really, of this season. Do you think that is possible? Do you think he has turned a corner and he is going to continue scoring at an extremely high clip. That may sound like too high of an over-under, but if he comes out and he gets two goals on you know, the next weekend game against Vancouver, I think that looks extremely doable. And I think he's now scored two goals against two of... I mean, maybe it's not fair to throw Seattle in this category, but two of the best teams in MLS. I mean, scoring a really good one against LAFC and a really one today against Seattle... I think it's. I think that's where I'm going to put the over/under. Is in 12 goals. Do you think it is possible that Sergio Cordova gets over, or are you taking the under on 12 goals, Joe? Look, I'll actually spin this a little. I'll say under. I don't think 12 goals is incredibly realistic. I think there's a possibility. Six goals in the last 10 games. That feels semi-realistic to me. I mean, it's definitely the optimistic end of the spectrum, but I see where you're coming. Yeah, from. I would. I would still say it's optimistic, but where where I'd spin it is I would actually expect to see, especially let's assume Bobby Wood comes back at some point, hopefully in the near future. I actually think where he's going to start contributing more than people expect is on the assist side. I think that his style of play is great for for forcing the ball out, um, getting getting the defense flustered and I think that he'll be able to have once he has someone that's able to also slot in um, hopefully easy chances that 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 number he's only got one assist to this uh, to his name this season I think that we are going to see a good step up in that and I'm I'm optimistic about that I'm not saying that he can't score 12 I would expect the number to fall in around 10 I think 10 is a very reachable number for him um and Fine, let's make it 10. The worst. 10 goals to end the season right. over under. Four goals through the next 10 MLS matches. Does Sergio Cordova hit that mark? Yes or no? That's all I want to hear. I need yes. you to put, right. okay, I love it. Eric, what about you? 10 goals for Sergio Cordova to end the year. 10 more games to do it to get four goals. Does he hit that mark? Yes or no? For 10 goals, I would say yes. 12 oh, goals? My. Oh, 12? I'm, I'm, I'm going with 10. I would say yes for 10. And you would say no for twelve. So we're all kind of in that sweet spot, right around finishes the year with probably four to six more goals. I mean, my first instinct is to say, well, yeah, our schedule is a lot tougher. So how is he going to do it? But like, this is what I really okay. I'm, this, I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best to cap the Sergio Scordova discussion. So I want to end it with this: If Sergio Scordova does end the season with at least twelve MLS goals. In regular season and playoffs, do we re-sign him to an RSL contract? He is currently here on loan. Do you, assuming there is one, which you have to imagine there is from the Blitzer umbrella, he ends the season with 12 MLS goals, 25 years old, making $750,000. Do you re-sign him or sign him, I guess, frankly, to an RSL contract? I want a simple yes or no answer. I'm going to say yes. Okay. I think I think the last two games is too small of a sample size compared to the rest of the season to say whether or not he's turned a corner. I love that. If he, if he makes it up to twelve against some pretty, then he has thoroughly turned a corner. I, I think that's a big you think so? Size, and if he keeps playing the way he has, he's gonna score. He might score that many. And I love I, it. I would resign him if he makes it up to twelve. Joe. Yeah, I'd say. That's a tough one, Alex. You're putting me, putting me <laughs> on the edge uh, with, my job. with taking up a DP saw. I would say 
let's say this, if the DP slots increase this year, then absolutely yes. Wow. If they what don't, unbelievable then, then uh, I'd put 75 yes, but if there's better options, maybe not. Man, I, I ask this question and I, I, I revel in hearing your answers, but I have no idea what I would do. If I was if I was Elliot Follett, he I, I think it puts me in a, in a really difficult position. I would prefer they, if he gets to 12 goals, that is, that's a pretty good tally. And I think I would have a really hard time saying no to that because at that point he is definitely a quote-unquote proven MLS goal scorer. Let's hope he gets to that mark. Let's hope he does. But let's jump quickly now to the second half of the game. We'll have to get moving here a little bit to make sure this does end up an RSL Sundays and not an RSL Mondays episode. But uh, Albert Rusnak scores in the 62nd minute for Seattle. He very clearly does not celebrate. It was a really stand-up thing to do, frankly. You don't see that all the time when players score against their former team at home. Mostly if they do it on the road against their old team, they won't celebrate. But here, he very much uh, demonstrated that he was uh, still interested in not burning any bridges with uh, Real Salt Lake and their fans. Maybe he heard them on Twitter after he called Seattle fans the best in MLS. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But I asked Justin Glad in the post game if you know, players notice that sort of thing. And he said in the moment, they don't really notice it, but he does expect that from Albert because he said he was a class act. So no hard feelings from Albert Rusnak on this podcast. We're a very pro Albert Rusnak uh, podcast, I would say in general. So happy to see him score, but even happier to see Andrew Brody then almost immediately respond in the 64th minute. But it felt like, it felt like still the 62nd to me. And uh, slots went home with the back post. As you mentioned, Eric, from a really good buildup that involved Sergio Cordova holding up a ball, and playing it back two feet really nicely and combining with Jefferson Savarino amongst others on that right-hand side who served in a great ball that led to Andrew Brody crashing at the back post and scoring what would be the game winner. However, after that, in the 64th minute, it was all Seattle all the way, and they could not find a goal. They could not buy a goal. They were absolutely useless in front of goal tonight, and... Pablo Mastroeni was asked in the postgame about luck and if luck went RSL's way this night. And he says luck is a part of every single result. And it was certainly on RSL's side tonight. I think there were probably four bona fide scoring chances. You know, I'm thinking about the one that rolls across the front of the goal that uh, Freddie Montero can't get to. I'm thinking of the Freddie Montero header that goes right over the crossbar. I think Will Bruin had a good look in there too. Uh, Christian Roldan had a really good ball that was played into him by Jordan Morris. So, I don't know where I fall on this result holistically in the context of the season for RSL. It is, and don't get me wrong, it is an extremely positive result in an absolute, I hate to say a must-win game because it's really not. You know, the sun comes up either way, we're going to be just fine. But it was as close to a statistical must-win game in search of the playoffs that I think you can really get to because this is, for all intents and purposes, a six-point game because, you know, we kept three from Seattle who were right below us in the standings and took three for ourselves. Do you guys see this performance? I asked I asked uh, myself, I guess I was going to say last week because uh, I recorded all on my lonesome. This is so much this is so much more fun for me. But uh, do you see this game as indicative of, much like Sergio Cordova, my question earlier, of RSL turning a corner? Or is this going to be a continuation of kind of the Jekyll and Hyde performances that we've seen where we can get kind of trounced and look really sloppy one week and then bounce back and have you know, just an extremely positive result. And, you know, maybe that's not fair because we've got, what, three wins in our last 10, but that's how it feels to me. So where do you guys fall? Is this a performance that you look back on and you think we played so dominant that we can take facets of this game and turn them into real building blocks moving forward? Or do you think this was, as, you know, Pablo Mastroeni mentioned, a very luck-heavy result? And I don't think that's what Pablo was insinuating is that we only won because of luck, but, you know, luck clearly played a pretty huge factor. Where do you guys fall on that? I would say luck was a big factor. Um, I, you, you say Jekyll and Hyde performances where we dominate one game, don't dominate another one. I, I think those kinds of performances you're referencing are maybe a little bit closer than that. Um, there have definitely been games where it, feel, where it felt like we dominated and then ended up losing because we had some really good chances and then completely missed them. Um, and this game, it really just felt like another one of those games, but we were on the positive side of it because goals are the only stat that actually matters in the end. Certainly. Um, and I would say it's very similar to the court of a conversation where this game is too small of a sample size to say we turned a corner, especially when so many of the stats favored Seattle. Um, 
but I don't know. Even when you even when you get lucky, that's a that's a confidence booster, which will help through the rest of the season. So I would say we haven't turned a corner yet, but remains to be seen. Maybe I love it. It's extremely, extremely level headed. Extremely level headed, and I think you I think you're on the right path, Joe. What say you? Yeah, I think that. I actually disagree. You know, this is the kind of game where, you know, like you mentioned, Alex, it was not necessarily a must-win game, but it felt kind of like a must-win game with the vibes. And I think that we've been on the opposite end of these flip-flop games against much worse competition, to be fair, um, a lot this season, whereas this game, it it felt different in the aspect and maybe this was me being a hundred yards away from a a bulk of the Sounders chances (laughs) towards the end. And that, that probably calmed my heart rate a little bit more than if I were watching on um, the television, but um, you know, it, it didn't feel like the other flip-flop games that we had. We were very clinical in transition and that was a positive to see if we played like that all the time in these kind of 50, 50 games in a, uh, away arena that we have historically, at least by feel, have not been historically great at, as well as is uh, on its own a very difficult play- place to play. I mean, a draw would have been felt very good from this standpoint. And, and the fact that we managed to come here, um, get a win, and not from some flute goal that was, you know, a Justin Glad header out of nowhere that, that obviously feels great and um, you know, is just off of a set piece, but two goals that came from really great build-up play, um, I, I think did feel different. And I, I think that that's, that's a positive. If we can go and play this way the rest of the season, then we're going to steal results that we might not have gotten um, playing the way we have before. I mean, I agree with Eric, maybe too small of a sample size to say that this is the future of the last 10 games of the season, but it, it did feel different to me than than the other games. So... That's my take. I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I think I am more optimistic, clearly, than I would have been before. I mean, I uh, you know, you can go rewind the tapes. I predicted a loss last week in a pretty thorough one, if I'm not mistaken. Three to one, I believe, is what I called. And so this is clearly a step in the right direction, in my opinion. But I am still wary of these you know, peaks and valleys sort of performances that we see from this team. It would not surprise me in the least if we came out really flat against Vancouver at home and they score early and then we're chasing the game and it puts us on the back foot and maybe we don't come away with three points there. Not that I think that is the only, you know, outcome on the spectrum of things, but I do think that is a distinct possibility. And I think we need to be able to string two to three performances together before I'm willing to say, as you guys have both kind of echoed, that we have, you know, turned the proverbial corner with only winning three in our last 10. I don't think it's fair to say that this is anything too outside of the norm. Granted, it is awesome to go into Seattle, an extremely difficult place to play and come away with three points, but that's not, it's, it's, it's not beating LAFC at home, which would have felt, I think a lot better than beating, you know, the Sounders on the road, the Sounders for as good as they are and as accomplished of a team as they are, haven't been, world beaters in MLS this year, which has been an extremely odd storyline for the league because they want to kind of tout the CCL winners, but they're not currently in the playoff picture. And so that's why I think I fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm extremely happy about the result. I cannot believe that it happened. And I pumped my fist super hard when Andrew Brody scored that. And uh, it was awesome. It was great, but I'm still, I don't know. I still worry. I think this improves you know, if you got the 538 playoff standing probability, I think this helps quite a lot. If I'm looking at the standings now, which peek behind the curtain, I am. We are sitting on 37 points, uh, pretty firmly in third, fifth place now, followed behind by the LA Galaxy, Nashville, and Portland, all sitting on 33 points, and then the Sounders at 32, and the Rapids at 31. The playoff cutoff is, of course, seventh place. Eighth place is out of the picture, and this was an Extremely important result because had Seattle won, it would have looked a lot different and a lot tighter. We actually have a little bit of breathing room. And for once in a very long time, we actually have games in hand on some teams. Galaxy have one on us, but we have one on both Nashville and Portland teams trailing us. So that is a very good sign for the rest of our season, I think. But man, I really just don't know because I want this. I want to be so 
just, you know, unbridled optimism after a win on the road in Seattle. And to an extent I am, but as you mentioned, Eric, like, boy, howdy, a lot of those stats did not go in our favor. And I think if we do give up one of those pretty easy chances near the end, I think we all feel quite a bit different, but we didn't. And we are able to celebrate this one like the win that it is. And I am so happy for that, but let us move on now, unless you guys have any burning remarks to get off your chest about the Seattle game onto the preview for Vancouver. I will call once and one time only. Do either of you have anything else you want to say on the Seattle match? Yeah, I would, I would say maybe my last, my, my last thing is as much as Pablo doesn't want to say this is a grind and grit team. It, it really does feel like a grind and grit team. And I think that this performance, I mean, you just see the way that the players respond to the, just the game flow at the end, the amount of players that were willing to throw their bodies in front of shots it, that's different than what we've seen in maybe some other performances. And I think that that stuff does carry on from game to game and hopefully carries forward. Um, but, you know, that can all change with a bad performance at Vancouver. So I love it. I agree. And I think Eric Holt came in and played a very good 20-some-odd minutes. Eric, what say you? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, if we are turning a corner, this is how it's going to start. That is a fantastic point. That is all. That is, those are some absolute words of wisdom, and I love it. Let us move on now to our preview of the Vancouver Whitecaps, who will be coming to Rio Tinto Stadium uh, this Saturday. Whitecaps currently sit in 11th place in the Western Conference standings on 30 points, so not out of the playoff picture, but it is fading fast for them if they could not find a win somewhere soon. So this team will be, much like we were coming to Seattle, fighting for their playoff lives, as everyone Loves to say, and I've said that now twice in the last three weeks, and I hate when I say it, so you know what? i got to come up with, with a new phrase. But Vancouver just got shellacked 5-2 to two by the Galaxy at home, which is not good. They've also, I guess it was Galaxy on the road. It was at home against the Galaxy, or the Galaxy were home. Uh, were they, right? Yeah, they were. Uh, they've also drawn three of their last six, and they're really looking like a middling MLS team. They look like smack dab. Average, uh, ML average to bad, I guess, MLS squad. And yet they frighten me dearly. They frighten me dearly coming into Rio Tinto. I want to heavily predict a win, but I'm not going to. I'm going to refrain from that and I'm going to predict a 2 2 draw. They have not been shut out in some time. I predict that they will come in and score goals. The only hope is that it is not an early goal because we have seen those kind of bite us in the butt a little bit and have the team be unable to really break down solid teams that are able to sit back and kind of just absorb pressure. So I hope that is not the case, but I see it as a distinct possibility. So I'm going to go two to draw. What say you, Joe, if you had to pick a prediction and you do, or you're kicked off the show forever, what would it be? Yeah, I'd say uh, despite Vancouver coming back home to Rio Tinto after a little bit of time away um, and, and having to play their games at Riot a few was that a yeah, this is practically a home game for them. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, but screw it, Vancouver fans. I'm sorry, but it's time to start looking forward to hockey season. I'm predicting a three-two RSL win uh, at home. Three-two, lots of goals. Who are they coming for on the RSL side? Oh, all, all Sergio Cordova, of course. Is that no, a joke? Say, or is, uh, okay, I thought that was a poke at me, but I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> I would say maybe one from Sergio, uh, two from Jefferson. I love it. I love it very much. Jefferson, man of the match performance. You uh, heard it here first. Lock it in. Eric, what about you? Score prediction. I think the good luck from the maple tree they planted at Rio Tinto Stadium gets them a whopping one goal, and we will score two. Another 2-1 win for RSL. I love that very much. I love the maple tree shout that we got in there. Ethan, uh, added to the dock. Ethan is still on maternity leave. I don't know if I mentioned that at the start. I don't think I did. Or paternity leave, I guess. He's doing a great job. Everybody's happy and healthy. He'll be back hopefully next week, but we will see. Having a new baby is apparently a difficult thing to do. I uh, can confirm. Is that true? I can confirm. Do you think a, a realistic timeline for Ethan to be back recording a podcast that a very small amount of people listen to on Saturday nights is going to happen within three weeks of his baby being born. Or is that an unrealistic timeline on my part? Say, I was going to say maybe 2024. <laughs> oh no. That's a, that's a little pessimistic. Oh, brutal. I almost, okay. I almost said no to doing this. Cause I was still trying to put my two year old to bed. 
but you know. So maybe someday, Ethan, maybe someday Ethan will be back on this podcast, hopefully sooner rather than later. But Ethan predicted a 2-0 RSO win. He's expecting a shutout at home, which would just be absolutely delightful to watch. Do you guys have a player to watch in this one? If you can pick one RSL player that you want to key in on for any specific reason, who would it be and why Eric? I'm going to go with the easy answer and say Sergio Cordova. Wonderful, wonderful content. for Entirely because of his performance in the last two games. I want to see if he can keep that up or if he goes back to being Sergio Snordova. Wow, Stereo, I love that. And let's let's you know just get ahead of this argument before it happens in our RSL group chat. He can play a very solid performance without scoring a goal in this one. So let's just Absolutely. you know, I agree that he does a lot of work that is not just scoring goals. So we but shall I don't see. Think that happens when he's sitting ten yards off sides, just staring at the game. I think you might be onto something, but you know, those are not those are your words, not mine, but Joe. I do not, I do not think that will happen. I am hoping not. I really do because I want him to get those those twelve goals and then I give just, Elliot Fall an incredibly difficult decision. My way after after using that name, <laughs> such a banger. And you weren't even reading from the script. That was going off script. I didn't tell you to do that beforehand, Joe. If you had one player to watch, who is it? Uh, it's going to be Aaron Herrera from me. Please, my guy, do not get another red card this game, <laughs> and just put in a solid performance. You did well today. That was good to see. Please keep it going. Uh, yeah, I want to see solid, solid defense, even though I predicted two goals from the Vancouver side. Uh, hopefully Aaron can pull in a good performance. I love it next week. I absolutely love it. If I had to choose one guy, it's again, going to be Pablo Ruiz. I've said him a lot this year and it's because I love him and he's probably my most, he's probably the most watchable player on RSL. I think he's the most fun. I think he does a lot of little things extremely well. And I just want to see him continue to progress. I think coming back from Argentina after the passing of his father really marked a pretty distinct midway point for him in this season and probably in his career. It did take him some time, extremely understandably, to get back to playing at the level that he's capable of. But I think he's there now. And I think Jasper Lawful Godsend, for as good as he's been at stretches in the season, has slowed down or tapered off just a little bit. And I want to see if Pablo Ruiz is able to kind of pick up the slack there and uh, really make that position his own again. But that would be my one guy to watch. I am really hopeful that we can get two goals from Sergio Cordova in this 2-2 draw that I predicted because that would just be just tremendous content just to see if he can get to double digits. I think that would make that would make the offseason or the lack of offseason additions a little bit easier to swallow or summer additions, frankly. Uh, if he can get to that point. But uh, that's that's all I've got on our Vancouver preview. If any of you guys have something, please chime in now. And I heard nothing, so we shall rally on. We have now hit the end of another installment of RSL. It is officially now, I'm looking at the clock, it is RSL Mondays. It reads 12.01 a.m. So we will try to get this put out as soon as possible. I would like to give an absolutely sensational thank you to both Eric and Joe for co-hosting today. Thank you guys so much for coming on. It was extremely late notice. And this just goes to show that if you follow both myself and Ethan on Twitter and are nice to us and uh, agree with a lot of our takes, you too might see yourself on an episode of RSL Sundays someday. So uh, make sure your DM box is open so that if I need to come and find an emergency uh, co-host, you can be on that list. But yes, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, what are your Twitter handles one more time in case people want to go follow you there? Might be against your best interest to follow me, but once again, <laughs> it is Salty Posauna. Salty, P-O-S-A-U-N-E. I'm a super nerd. And the trombone. I love it. And mine's real skeptical lad. I will say it's still RSL Sunday for me here on uh, Pacific time. So. I love it. That's a great point. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have you send the episode to Dan and he can tweet it out. And that way we've got it still. Uh, we're still within the parameters of RSL. It's, you know what? It's always RSL Sunday somewhere. That's what they say. But thank you guys so much. <laughs> Once again, follow me at Alex Mauer, follow the hive at the hive sports, follow Ethan at Ethan Kershaw nine. If you're so inclined, give him, your best parenting fatherhood tips because he's probably going to need them and make sure that he gets them so that he can be on an episode of RSL Sunday sometime soon here in the future. 
We are going to clock in at just under one hour on this episode. You are welcome, or I'm sorry if you really like listening to this. But uh, thank you guys so much once again. RSL Vancouver at the Riot on Saturday. See everybody there. It has been a pleasure talking to you, and RSL beat Seattle 2-1 in Seattle. Nothing is better than that. Vamos. We will catch you on the next one. TheHiveSports.com has all the buzz on sports in the Beehive State, covering prep, college, pro, and church sports. No way, really? Okay, maybe not that last one. If you want to stay in the know about all things Jazz, Cougars, Aggies, and Utes, then this is the site for you. TheHiveSports.com. We may even feature your high school, so check us out today at TheHiveSports.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out TheHiveSports.com because we got the buzz.